We'll be reading from the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 2 through 6. Hear now the word of our living Lord. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, um, as we, we jump into this passage, let me just give us a little bit of roadmap for the next couple weeks anyways. Uh, I will uh, not be here next week, so Stan is, is graciously uh, uh, agreed to come and fill the pulpit and bring you the word of the Lord, and, and uh, uh, I, I look forward to hearing how his word ministers, God's word through Stan ministers to your hearts. Uh, then I'll be back. Uh, we'll continue in this current series we're in until Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday and Easter will be Palm Sunday and Easter focused sermons. Uh, and then we'll be back in to finish this series uh, after, after Easter. Uh, and then I'm not sure where we're going quite yet as far as uh, sermons go. But uh, at this point, the only Sunday I know of uh, in the near future that I will not be here will be next Sunday. Uh, outside of that, we'll be here. Um, we have been looking at a healthy church. We looked at the big, broad overview a few weeks ago from Revelation chapter 2, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And you may remember the three R's that were brought out there that we were to remember, to repent, and to recover. So last uh, two weeks ago, we began by looking at what it meant to remember and, and what, remembering the work of God uh, in our lives and in the church. Uh, then last week, we looked at repentance and the need for repentance in the church and in the individual's. Uh, in each of us. And this week, we're going to begin the recovery. And the recovery part is the big part. It's more than one message. Uh, it's, it's a bunch of them. We'll be looking at some steps, some things that we need to make part of our lives individually, but also corporately in order to be a healthy church. And to begin with, we're going to begin with prayer. Uh, it's uh, probably prayer is probably the most recognizable aspect of Christian uh, piety and simultaneously the most neglected aspect of Christian piety. Most all of us, if someone shares something that they uh, are concerned with or, or need some help with, we say, oh, we'll pray for you. And we mean well, but how many of us stop at that moment and actually pray? How many of us remember when we get back home to actually pray? We struggle with that. And, and don't be afraid to admit it. Pastors do too. Uh, statistics are taken and whatnot. And, and, and as we'll see later, the, we all struggle with this, this one area. But it's foundational. The prayer of the church should be bathed in prayer. 
Every worship service should be bathed in prayer before we get here. We should begin with prayer. Prayer should be going on in the middle of the service. We should be ending with prayer. Our daily lives should be much the same. We should begin with prayer throughout the day. We're told in in 2 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean we're on our knees with our hands folded the whole time, but it means that we're in this attitude of prayer all of the time. And while it's a command that's given in the imperative form, by the way, that's not given to us as an option. We're told we're supposed to do that. We have to do that. Most all of us would probably say that one of the areas we struggle with most in our daily walk is that of prayer. A church will not be and cannot be a healthy church if it is not praying. In his book, or in the book, A Kneeling Christian, and I encourage you to get a copy of that. See, Michael, I'm sure he can probably get you a copy of that if he doesn't already have a bunch of them. Uh, It's written by an unknown author. Uh, My theory is that unknown author is either Martin Lloyd-Jones or Leonard Ravenhill. They both were in England at the same time. I know it's an English author who firmly believed in prayer, and those two men were solid on prayer. Uh, It's one of those two that wrote it, I'm convinced. Uh, when you look at the language, both of them is the language. Anyways, I'm getting off on a tangent. Anyways, the, the author of that book writes, we are never so high as when we are on our knees. Think about that. We are never so close to the Lord as when we are on our knees. The Puritan pastor Christopher Love wrote, God does not accept the person for the prayer's sake, but the prayer for the person's sake. He doesn't accept us because we pray, but he accepts our prayer for our benefit and for our growth. Samuel Lee, another Puritan writer, uh, writes, Prayer is the soul's colloquy with God, and a secret secret prayer is a conference with God upon admission into the privy chamber of heaven. I may call secret prayer the invisible flight of the soul into the bosom of God. Out of this heavenly closet rises Jacob's ladder, whose rounds are all of light. Its foot stands upon the basis of the covenant in your heart. Its top reaches the throne of grace. And as I mentioned last week, my favorite of the Puritan writers, Thomas Watson writes, the life of a saint is nothing but a life of faith. His prayer is the breathing of faith. As we pray, we're demonstrating and breathing out our faith. So in today's message, I have a simple premise for us to consider. And that is that a church that is not praying is a church that's dying. Prayer must be foundational. We need to pray in our lives uh, and live our lives of faith in order to strengthen his church. And we can by applying some teachings that we find in our passage. So I encourage you to keep your Bible open. Look back here with me to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. The first thing we need to see, first principle or teaching we need to, have, to, to, to learn and to practice is to be praying. As the Nike slogan goes, to just do it. Look in the very first phrase, continue steadfastly in prayer. James Fawcett and Brown's commentator translates that, continue perseveringly. And I, and I like that phraseology because I think it, it helps us, those of us who, who like to pray but find so much trouble in doing so, 
We have to realize that sometimes we have to make ourselves, we have to push through it, that all the hard things that come in and enter in that make it hard, we have to really dive in and and persevere to get through. The passage there implies, first off, that we do actually pray. It is now telling us, well, as you pray, realize it's not going to be easy work. I have not been in any congregation where the smallest meeting of that congregation wasn't the prayer meeting. And I've asked why. And I've asked in my last church, uh, I had multiple, tried to have multiple prayer meetings. I had a, a group I called the pit crew, the pastoral intercessory team. Uh, they were assigned to pray for the, ser- the service every Sunday. Uh, and, and we actually would have one of them in a room praying during the service and I had had stuff for them, but it was only one praying at a time. We had our Wednesday brown bag lunch prayer, and me and one elder showed up most of the time, and we would pray together, but it was just two of us. Though the word promises where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is amongst you. God was with us, and he used those prayers. But even on, when we had prayer meetings on Sunday, we started on Wednesday nights and then uh, moved them to Sunday nights, always a smaller group. And I wonder why. And it wasn't so much that we were praying. It wasn't so much that everybody's life was busy. The most common response was, it's hard and I really don't know how to do it. And I don't like to pray out loud. You know, I said, well, you don't have to. Just come and join us in that prayer. Be a part of that prayer. But it is hard work. And this passage here begins by implying that we are praying. And so he's telling us, continue to do that. Continue perseveringly, steadfastly to be praying. As I mentioned, the statistics in the U.S. are pretty bad. The average U.S. Christian prays less than five minutes a day. The average pastor, about five minutes a day. That's not saying much for a belief, a faith belief, that insists that prayer is foundational to our faith. Now, let me ask you, those of you who are married, and that's most everybody in here, how long would you stay married if you only spoke to your spouse five minutes or less a day? Probably wouldn't work, would it? Again, we're encouraged in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. Paul teaches us there and elsewhere that this is God's will for each of us, that we are praying and to pray steadfastly, to pray perseveringly, but also, as we heard earlier uh, in our call to worship, to pray with thanksgiving. If you go back through Paul's letters, you'll find almost every instance where he gives a command to pray, he attaches that aspect of thanksgiving that we're to pray with thanksgiving. So we're to continue steadfastly in prayer. And Paul then says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There you go. There's that connection with thanksgiving. But we're also to be watchful. That's not speaking about seeing with our own eyes and keeping our eyes open to watch around, but it's speaking to our heart. See to it that you continue to pray. See to it that you're making a concerted effort. See to it that it's a season of prayer. See to it and watch that you don't allow Satan in in order to steal from you the privilege of prayer. 
And I would argue that is it indeed a privilege? We are the only religion that states and believes that we can enter into the very presence of the Almighty through prayer. That we have a direct direct line of communication with the creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We are enabled to go directly to him. Not through some mediator, not through some action. We can simply go and lay our hearts before him. And we do so with thanksgiving. And what better thing to be thankful for than the fact that we can go before the Lord God Almighty and lift our hearts up to him. Thankful for the privilege that we have. Thankful for the, the uh, ability that we have. Thankful for the time that we have. Thankful for the things that we're praying about. I taught... Uh, a week or so ago, a class on problem solving uh, and management to uh, one of the teams, actually two of the teams in, in our office. And one of the little quotes uh, that I gave them uh, was, there's no such thing as problems, only opportunities. Uh, and in our lives, in our prayer life, when we come before the Lord and we bring those issues, those problems we think we have, those things, they're actually opportunities to see God work in our life or in the lives of the people we're praying for. And so when we go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, we're thanking him for those opportunities. Not, you know, why would I want to thank him for my problems? <clears throat> They're not a problem. God has given to them to us as an opportunity to see him at work. And so we thank him for that opportunity. We read earlier from Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which we, we didn't read the second part of that in verse 7, where it says, If we pray, or be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving to make our requests known for God. Does anybody know what the next verse says? And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As we come before him praying as a congregation, as individuals, and praying in this manner, as Paul puts here, with thanksgiving, thanking him for the opportunities. For instance, right now, I know we're, you're questioning, how are we going to do this? How are we doing this as a church? Our pastor's left. We don't really have a building. We're meeting in this place. What, we, can, we can come up with all kinds of excuses and problems to blame. But God has actually given you an opportunity now to trust in him and to see him work in Evergreen Church. Despite the location, despite the lack of a full-time pastor. God can and God will work. And so as we're praying, being anxious for nothing, we're to lift up our prayers to him with supplication, with prayers of supplication, and with thanksgiving so that we as a people can experience the shalom, the peace which surpasses all understanding. Think about that great promise that Paul gives there. So what, is that, what does that mean? Well, as we're praying with thanksgiving, we're realizing that someone or something greater is, than us is happening. That is the working of God. He begins by be watchful, praying with thanksgiving, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. <clears throat> we're watching to see how God's going to work. 
in a little bit, uh, uh, we, we will pray. <clears throat> and when we, we start this prayer, and, and when I lead a Bible study, I always start with the question of what is God doing in your life this week? Initially, the first few times I ask that, it's stone silent. Nobody knows how to respond to that. Uh, but slowly over time, people begin to realize and begin to see as they're being watchful, they're beginning to see God working. <clears throat> so it might start, well, you know, today God got me up on time. You know, that may seem like a small thing, but they've seen God work in a small way. And soon it begins to grow to where I had one uh, former pastor's wife come to me and say, David, you keep asking us that question. And I have now seen God working in places I've never realized he was working before because I wasn't watching for it. And now I find myself looking at the situations and saying, what is God doing here? What is he doing here? Paul calls us to do so, so that we understand that there's somebody greater than us, something greater than us at work. And this too, we're to do perseveringly, steadfastly, because thanks doesn't come naturally. It's something we have to work at. So <clears throat> a natural question that arises then is how can we learn to pray this way? First, practice, practice, practice. You just got to start praying. And you may not, keep, keep in mind, the average Christian, five minutes or less. So let's take a baby step. Let's make the commitment today that I am going to set aside five minutes today just to pray. Put it on your calendar. Put it on your schedule and guard that time. For five minutes, I'm going to put the phone away. As, as Cal, Port, Cal Newport writes, take it and put it in the foyer. Put it in, your, your, in the hallway or somewhere else to where if the phone rings, you have to get up and walk to it. Okay, so get it away from you. Turn off the computers, turn off the TV, turn off the radio, turn off all of the other things. Tell the kids to go outside and play. Shut the door, go into your closet, wherever it may be, create an environment, and for five minutes, just take some time and focus on the Lord. Use the tools that are available. I know you, you have them, uh, the prayer list uh, from the church, devotionals, the Bible. Keep a small notebook handy so when those thoughts that flood your mind when you're trying to pray come to your mind, jot them down. It could be that the Lord's trying to get you to pray about those things. It could also be that Satan's trying to distract you. Don't take any of it for granted. Make a note of it, and then later on you can determine, was that the Lord trying to get me to pray for it? Well, then add it to my prayer list. Was it Satan trying to distract me? Well, now you know what to watch for, right? And then another help that I've found uh, is useful to me is actually praying out loud. It's a conversation, right, between you and the Lord. Nowhere in the scripture do I find that you must always pray silently. In fact, most all of the references to prayer in Old and New Testament speak of praying out loud. And yet it's a practice that we struggle with. So I found it useful at times just to go for a walk. And everybody else thinks I'm just talking to myself. They don't realize who I'm really talking to. It's great they don't bother me because that guy's weird. He's talking to himself. 
but I'm talking to the Lord the whole time. And then try to add a little bit of time each week. What you actually will find out is as you begin praying, five minutes is going to fly by and you're going to actually realize you're spending more time and that will grow exponentially because your heart will begin to get into it and your mind will begin to follow along and and you will be persevering. You'll find those ways to persevere and to continue steadfastly and then you'll just find yourself just like com- talking to, to your best friend, you'll just, before you'll know it, three hours are up. Let me know when you get there because I want to meet you. But for most of us, that conversation will become more like a normal conversation each day. Second thing we, we need to, to learn from prayer here is to pray specifically. Look in verse 3. At the same time, at the same time you're continuing with these thanksgiving prayers, pray also for us. So that speaks to supplication or praying on behalf of somebody else, some inter, uh, an intercession. Supplications asking for the supply of God, hence the word supplication. Intercession is interceding on someone's behalf. Paul now is asking the Colossian church, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, do you note something here? How specific Paul's prayer is. There's one thought with three components. Pray, first, that God would open the door. Not a literal door. He wasn't talking about, I'm trapped in a building and help me get out of this room. But open the, 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 the spiritual door, the opportunity that God's put before us. He's saying, pray specifically that God will open up the opportunities for us to preach. That's the second thing, to preach, to do the work of God for which he was called to do. Later uh, in that same verse, he mentions that he's in prison, which is the hindrance to his being able to preach. He's saying, now open up the opportunities for even in this hindrance, even in this, this area of confinement, I'm able to preach. And we know from the book of Philippians that Paul's ministry affected not just those in the, in the jail, but the whole praetorium guard. The opportunity was indeed opened up. And now he's praying for a bigger opening because his goal was, while he was in prison in Rome, not just to preach to the guard, but to be able to preach to all of Rome. We are to pray specifically about that. And then he says, that another area is to preach what? The mystery of Christ. Not this general, dear Lord, bless his ministry. He was specific. He said, here's specifically what I want you to pray about my preaching. That I would be able to declare the mystery of Christ. And that, that phrase is significant when you consider it in light of Colossians. A church that was dealing with mystery religions. It was struggling with uh, angel worship and other aspects of that religion, those religions. And he uses the language that they were hearing in that day and says to them, now pray for me that I'll pray the mystery of Christ. And we see that uh, this is really speaking to the Holy Spirit that he, he talks about in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.23 as the stumbling block. The mystery is, what is that stumbling block and how does it apply to us? 
And Paul's asking specifically, pray that I will be able to preach that, that mystery of Christ, the gospel, which is a stumbling block to those who don't understand it. But it's the foundation to God's people. And then fourth, uh, next he says, that I may speak it clearly. <clears throat> Sometimes something is a mystery uh, as much due to the impreciseness of its communication as it is to the actual facts itself. Sometimes it's because we just don't know how to convey that, that truth in a manner that is understandable. So Paul's asking, pray specifically that I'll have clarity of speech, that people will be able to understand what I'm talking about. And keep in mind here at this time, as he's writing to the Colossians and to and in Roman jail, that he was raised Jewish, speaking primarily, primarily Aramaic. Aramaic was his first spoken language. Jew, uh, Hebrew was, at this point, a written red language. Uh, rarely spoken of, but that was his secondary language. Greek was his third language. And any of you who speak more than one language, you know that your secondary and your third languages, there are times where you have to sit and think about, okay, now how do I say this in this language? <clears throat> and when I was in Peru, I was told that you know you're beginning to understand Spanish when you can finally pray in Spanish. And I remember the first time I was actually able to have a prayer in Spanish. It was like this huge accomplishment. Uh, and yet it was one of the most simplistic childlike prayers because I didn't have the vocabulary or the ability to really speak clearly what Paul is writing here of the mysteries of Christ. I was doing good, but I was, ex and, but I was ecstatic and excited about the fact that I was able to pray to the Lord the basics of that particular prayer in a, in a language that was understandable, that was clear to those around me. So, again, going back to some application, how can we pray specifically? Again, just do it. Don't be afraid to ask God the specific things going on in your life or in the life of the church. Right now for the church, there are specific things you can be praying for. Pray for the leaders of the church, the elders. Pray for the other members of the church, for their physical health and their spiritual health. Pray for the gospel, the mystery of Christ to go forth into this community. Pray for the purpose, the mission and vision of this church as we sit down and talk about it. Pray about what are the values of this church. What are the things we like about this church? What are the things that we need to change? Pray specifically about them. Brothers and sisters, if you don't like something that's going on, don't complain about it. Pray about it. Because I will tell you one thing I've found in my own prayer life is I can't be mad at somebody if I'm praying with for or, or with them. It's hard to stay mad at somebody if you're praying for them. And it's hard to deal, I mean, it's hard not to deal with in a positive way the issues that arise in your life and, and in the church if you're praying for them. God will bring clarity and focus to you, so to pray about it. Pray specifically and expect specific answers. When I was at Montevallo and uh, University of Montevallo in Alabama, uh, I was one of the I'm one of the original campus outreach 
students. Uh, I was the, the first that I know of on the campus of Montevallo to come become a believer as a result of the campus outreach ministry. And our campus outreach director at that time was a gentleman named Bill Cunningham. He'd only been married a year or two, and he wanted to get his wife a piano for Christmas, but he couldn't afford one. So he began praying about it, praying specifically. And he told me, he said, I prayed for the type of piano I wanted. I wanted to find a, an upright, and I don't remember what brand. I think it was a Yamaha that he got, but he prayed for the brand. He prayed for the upright, the plan for it. He, play, he prayed for the price he wanted to pay for it, and he prayed for delivery, that he wouldn't have to go get it. And a week or so before that Christmas, he got a phone call. The guy said, I have a piano. I heard you might be looking for a piano. I have a piano for you. It was an upright the exact brand he was paying for. He was willing to deliver it, and he ended up not having to pay a thing for it. The Lord provided it for him. Everything. He prayed specific, expected a specific answer, and God answered it. Years later, as I was prior to my going to seminary, but as I was moving in that direction, we were attending a, a church prayer meeting in Sylacauga, Alabama, uh, toward Christmas, and one of the families in the church owned a uh, I think early in its iteration, a life iteration, a, a honey-baked ham type of a store. I don't think it was honey-baked ham, but it was a ham type of store. And they asked us this prayer meeting. They said, Christmas is our biggest time of year. We need to sell, I can't remember the exact number, X number of hams this Christmas in order to break even for the year. Would you pray with us that we would sell this many hams? Because if we don't, we may be talking about closing up our store. So we as a congregation prayed for them for a couple weeks for these, these ham sales. And they came back after Christmas and said, thank you for praying. We not only met our quota, we exceeded it by over uh, uh, just a, an obvious amount that it was God at work. You know, in such an exceedingly great way that not only did we meet our goal, we're able to stay open for the coming year. Pray specifically. God will answer specifically. Now, think back to Judges chapter 6, Gideon and the fleece. If you're familiar with that story, he prays specifically, Lord, may there be dew on all the ground, but may this fleece be dry. He wakes up, and sure enough, the fleece is dry. There's dew everywhere else. So next time, he prays even more specifically, Lord, may there be dew on the fleece and all the ground be dry. Now, that would be impressive to see. And the next day, it happens exactly as he prayed it. Forgive me if I reverse those, but that's the gist of it. Pray specifically. Make and keep a list or note cards. Go through them. Mark down when they're answered. And then not just mark down when they're answered, mark down how they're answered. Why? Because remember, we're supposed to pray how? With thanksgiving. And if we know how these prayers have been answered, now we know how to thank God, don't we? So we want to be able to go back and thank God for them. Because remembering that we're also to pray steadfastly and perseveringly, which means that this prayer is not to be one and done. Billy Graham Crusade and their, their organization did a study years ago to find out uh, about salvations, and they found out that 
80 plus percent of those who come to know the Lord come to know the Lord through the faithful witness of a friend or family member. And those of us who came to know the Lord later in our lives probably had somebody somewhere praying for you. Not just the day before you became the believer, but for days, weeks, months, even years before you became the believer. Thank God for their persevering prayer. Thank God for their steadfastness. And imagine the thanksgiving prayer they had when they, they heard that you received Christ and had come to the Lord in answer to their prayer. Think of the thanksgiving prayer you as a body can have when God works to see you established on your new location, to see you established with the new pastor, to see the church vibrant and growing and reaching into this community with the mysteries of Christ and men and women coming to know the Lord in prayer in, in faith, by faith. What a Thanksgiving party. And I encourage you to have a Thanksgiving party when that happens. Finally, we're, we read in this passage where to live our lives Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. When we read that, we can think, okay, this is totally tangential, and it's not really related to what Paul was just talking about with prayer. But I would submit to you that it's totally related to the prayer. As we are praying each day, as we are walking each day and living each day steadfastly in prayer, we are then enabled to be able to walk in the manner which God wants us to. Why? Because when the trials come up, when those opportunities arise, we know exactly where we need to turn. So he tells us, walk in wisdom. What's the wisdom? That I can't do it myself, only God can do it. And so where do I turn when I've got the questions to life? I turn to God in prayer. Walk in wisdom, then towards outsiders. How do we deal with the people of this community? Think about Sevierville. Have you really thought about that? Kodak and Sevierville. What does God have? What's the purpose God has for us as a congregation in this area? Are we just meeting and hoping they come to us? Or has God put this church here for a purpose, for his glory? What is that? And how do we deal with those outside of this worshiping community with wisdom? What does that look like? Brothers and sisters, I hope that you're praying about that. What is my witness? What is my ministry? What is our ministry? What does that look like that will make the greatest impact into this community so that decades from now, when none of us are here, the people are still talking about, you know, I remember. This goes back to the remembrance. When God was so working in Evergreen Presbyterian Church that this, this, and this was happening. I remember seeing that happen. Or years later, you hear of the little children that you impacted who've raised their little children, who have raised their little children because of the ministries of Evergreen Presbyterian Church. So we pray and should be praying in our walk for wisdom towards outsiders. Note there, also making the best use of time. We're to walk wisely. We're also to, to make use of the time. I, I like the King James better, redeeming the time. 
making the most of the time that we have. In that that uh, that teaching I did at work last week on, on problem solving and management, I was really focusing on time management because I noticed as I was walking around, everybody made up, everybody in there made a checklist of things to do. And we probably all do that too. We've got our list of the things to do. But I told him, I said, that's just the starting place. That just tells you the tasks that you have. Now, what's your plan for attacking that? that? As Christians, our checklist is, I'm going to read the Bible today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to talk to somebody about Christ today. I'm going to live. Okay, there's your your to-do list. But now what's your plan for attacking that? What's your plan for making that work? How are you going to redeem the time so that you can do that? Have you got a a set time on your calendar that you're going to pray? Do you have a set time for your devotional life in the Word of God? Do you have a set time that you're going to make the concerted effort to talk to somebody else outside of your, your household about Christ? My campus minister used to always say, if you don't plan your time, somebody else will. And that holds true to our faith walk also. If you don't redeem the time, Satan's going to seek to steal it away. There's no perfect time to do the ministry of the Lord, to share the mystery of Christ. But I tell you, in our world where we are working 40 plus hours a week, where we're Then coming home and taking care of family and cleaning house and doing all the family things. That time can become very narrow to where it's hard to find that time and we can excuse it all away. Say, well, I'm just too busy. But if you're too busy for the Lord, you're too busy with the wrong things. Redeem the time. I, I suggest that you actually sit down and map it all out. Put it down, not just on a calendar with, I'm going to go to the doctor at 9 a.m. on this day and and go shopping at 10 a.m. on this day. Plan out the entire day. Do it for a week. One thing you will find is that you actually have far more free time than you realize that you have. Uh, But the second thing that you'll find is it helps you be able to focus on what the task is during that time. If I know I have an hour to study, what am I going to do most of that hour? I'm actually going to study because I know I don't have anything else going on. Both of these, though, redeeming the time and speaking wise or walking in wisdom are specific natural outflows of specific prayer. These prayers enable us to see the application. Think of Philippians 4, uh, 8, and 9, which talks about the things that we're supposed to think about. Turn with me there real quick, if you will. After Paul had just told them to pray, to be anxious for nothing, but to pray with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, to make the request known to God so that they can experience the peace of God which surpasses all understandings. He finishes, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things in the God of peace, the shalom, that surpasses all understanding, will be with you. You see the direct connection to our thought lives and our prayer lives. 
to our living our life and our prayer life. It's the wise use of godly wisdom and the redeeming of our time leads us to be able to think about and dwell upon and apply those those things that are truthful and glorious and beautiful and honest and trustworthy. And look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And, you know, I ask you to pray that specifically for me. My new position is, is, is I'm speaking every day to folks about a whole broad scope of, of human issues. Had a great discussion this past week with an employee. I've, I felt, feel like I've gotten to know him well, but I didn't realize he was Greek Orthodox. And he was a very well-read Greek Orthodox, had read the Reformation writings, was familiar with Martin Luther, was familiar with John Calvin, but he was a Greek Orthodox still. We had a great discussion uh, going on, and I had, to, I had to really think about what I was saying. Because, one, I didn't want to lead him astray. I didn't want to contradict my faith. Uh, and at the same time, I didn't want to condemn him for his faith. I needed the Lord to give me wise speech, to season it with, with salt. And, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. I needed graciousness. Because my first reaction was, well, wait a minute. Especially when he made the statement that we believe in baptismal regeneration, my flags went up, and I, and I, you know, my, I immediately wanted to respond to that, but I had to pull myself back and say, wait a minute, David, you, let's just build the relationship here. We can address that one a little bit later. We see gracious speech lacking in today's world. If you're on Facebook, X, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever it is. It's very black and white these days, isn't it? You're either with me or you're against me. There's no debate. There's no discussion anymore. You're either this or you're this. You either believe this or you believe this. And if you don't believe this, then you have to believe this, even though they don't ever ask you what you actually believe. Gracious speech sees the person we're talking to as an image bearer of Christ, created in the image of the Almighty. So pray specifically here. Pray that God will teach you to speak lovingly and graciously to everyone, not just your spouse, not just your children, to everybody. My wife told me the other night, you know, do you realize how impatient we are? Part of that was we, we were trying to go to a restaurant last night, and we were caught in traffic, and so I was doing the guy thing and trying all the different shortcuts I could find to get out of that traffic, uh, and it just kept getting us into worse traffic. Uh, we eventually got there, but she's, her point was you wanted to get there in two minutes instead of just taking the 15 minutes and allowing the traffic to move and move us through orderly, you kept finding all these ways, and we ended up spending more time driving all around the mall to get to where we wanted to go than actually just staying where we were and following the traffic. We tend to be impatient. We tend to be that way. And we tend to talk to people that way. And so we need to pray that we're gracious in our speech. As we're talking about the church and ministry outward, 
What are the pieces of paper we produce? What are the, the flyers and the bulletins and everything? Are they gracious and seasoned with salt? Are our conversations with non-believers gracious and seasoned with salt? See, that seasoning of salt is, is meant to, salt had two purposes in the ancient days. The first was to flavor. And all of us know what a meal is like if you get something that's totally saltless. It just doesn't taste right. There's no flavor there. But it was also the preservative of the day. Salt was meant to, to preserve and to care for. And so when Paul is using this language, he's, he's using this language of season with salt to help us understand that we're supposed to, as we're talking with others, making that, that, that conversation taste better to both parties involved and preserving it for the glory of Christ. And that we should be praying about. And it should be a result of our prayer. Lord, enable me to speak graciously that my speech will be savoring and tasteful as well as preserving the glory of Christ. Nothing worse than a believer who says something uh, on one of the hot-button issues today, and then the response is, oh, you're one of those Christians. And it's not meant to refer to the faithful believer in Jesus Christ it's meant to refer to the Christian who's being judgmental or, or, or uh, hateful or bitter or bigoted, whatever the, the subject is you're talking about. Salt flavors for the good and preserves for the glory. It's not meant to tear down, to make taste bad or to hurt. So we pray for gracious speech this season with salt that we may know how to answer those questions about the mystery of Christ. Peter tells us to be ready to give reason for the hope that we have. Are you ready? Do you know what that hope is? Pray about it. As a church, pray about it. Pray that we would have the clear words of the gospel when we preach here, but also when we speak out in the community, that it would not be our way, but God's way in wisdom, that our words would be gracious, that they would see Christ in our words, not just hear Charlie Brown's teacher talking to him. You remember? Too often in our world today, that's what they're hearing as soon as they find out that you're talking about Jesus. So we have to learn how to season the conversation and be wise in the words. And the only way we can do that is to go to God first and ask him specifically for the words. Right now, I'm, I'm learning all I can about Eastern Orthodoxy and, and, and Greek Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox Church so that when I go back to talk with my friend, I will have the right words to be able to, to build on that relationship and in that discussion. So let me close. How, how, will, how do we walk then? How do we live our lives? How does this church grow? First, prayerfully. Prayerfully by realizing that your life does affect those around you. Believer and non-believer alike. It's either pointing them to Christ and his glory or it's pointing them to sin and hell. Prayerfully. Consider how you are living your life 
in the broader world? Am I pointing others to Christ or am I pointing them away? An individual or a church will not grow if they are not praying. And just like we can't keep a marriage together for only talking five minutes a day, you can't survive if you're only breathing five minutes a day. Back to our nurse back here. How long can the average human go without oxygen? Maybe not even five minutes. A couple minutes. Not long at all. And yet we try to go with, as Thomas Watson put it, the breath of faith every day. We should walk graciously. Don't get caught up in today's atmosphere of divisiveness. Don't get caught in bitterness and hatred. And brothers and sisters, do not, do not, do not allow it into the church. I, I, I would even advocate to the point of, hey, so-and-so, it might be better if you attend church down the street this week. Don't let it in the doors because it will destroy from within. Pray that God would not allow that into the body, divisiveness, but instead graciousness seasoned with salt. That's what we should be praying about for all of us together. And praying that we will love unconditionally. In our world of uh, craziness today, I'm beginning to think this is the hardest thing for me to do is to love unconditionally because my mind automatically goes to division. This is what I believe. They're against what I believe. I don't need to be with them. I don't need to talk to them. I don't even want to talk about them. But that's not what the gospel commands me to do. That's not what the scriptures tell me to do. And brothers and sisters, redeem that time. Don't wait. There's no better time. There's no such thing as a timely death. We don't know when it's going to happen. Redeem the time. Start right now. Start with your heart today. Where are you right now? Where is this church right now? And begin today praying for this church. And again, I encourage you, be specific. Name the church. Pray specifically for the needs of the church. And all of us in here have differing views of the needs of the church. And that's actually a good thing. That's a good thing because as you pray for those needs and as you share them with the officers, you're share, you will be sharing things that maybe they're not able to see. And I could tell you most of the time the pastor isn't able to see. So pray specifically for those needs. Pray specifically for the people of the church. If you don't have a church directory, ask Jared, one of the elders for one. And pray for folks by name. And if you don't know what to pray for them, pray what we just talked about today. And then the next time you see them, ask them specifically, how can I be praying for you? And then pray for the people of the community. You all are a church in Sevierville. Your Jerusalem 
going back to Acts 1.8, is severe. Don't worry about how you're going to impact the rest of the world if you're totally ignoring impacting your Jerusalem. Focus right now, at this time in your life, on the prayer for this community, for this area. You know, I, and I realize Kodak is right next door, and there's a bunch of other little village-slash-towns right close by. Include them in the Sevierville metro area, right? But pray specifically. If you're not sure, start with your neighborhood. Be a lighthouse there. And pray for your neighbors. When you have the opportunity, ask them specifically. You know what? I have never had anyone tell me, no, I don't want you to pray for me. In fact, I've been amazed how many times as soon as non-believers know that I do pray and I am praying for them, they begin to come and tell me things they want me to pray for them. So just talk to your neighbors. If every neighborhood represented in here began just praying for their neighborhood, you'd be amazed how quickly this city would be touched for the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ the opportunities you would have to find out because as you're praying for the need of the, the single mom struggling with three kids trying to make ends meet and their car is going down, you begin to see opportunities for ministry. And as you begin to minister, then you find opportunities to share the gospel. And as you share the gospel, then God then takes that, blesses that, and you see men and women coming to know the Lord. But the key is to begin on your knees because we are never so high is when we are on our knees. We are never so close to God as when we're praying to him, praying out the breath of our faith through prayer for the the individuals, the church, and the community. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray for our prayer that it would indeed be glorifying to you. I pray first, O Lord, that if there's anyone here today or watching that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would see and know and come to live the life that uh, you have called them to, that Christ has given them in Christ Jesus, that they would know the salvation of the Lord and come to you. And Father, for those of us to do, may we start today to pray unswervingly, perseveringly for your glory. Lord, we lift up your church, Evergreen, to you. Pray that your hand would be upon this church, that you would build this church for the glory of your kingdom, not for our sake, O Lord, but for yours. And Lord, may you make us into armor bearers, praying for the glory of God and his kingdom here on earth and using these prayers in the life of Evergreen in the life of our, our neighbors, in the life of this community, in the life of each person we come in contact with. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.